0: Please stand for the reading of today's gospel lesson from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 32 from the Common English Bible. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. He said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. If you uh, happen to be a, a guest today, or if you're joining us online for the first time, I'm Jim Hughes, I'm one of the pastors here. Most of you, I think, are aware at this point that the month of July is a, a traditional time for Davis to be away for study uh, and for uh, rejuvenation, which is important for him. It's a gift that this congregation gives him, and it's a, a very valuable one. Uh, so the rest of the staff, we pitch in during July. We're sort of a, uh, an inning of relief pitching, and uh, we'll do our best to uh, not strike out while we're, while we're here. I will confess to a tinge of uh, bitterness about this because uh, I am a tennis player and played tennis in college, been playing most of my life. And for 45 years serving churches, I had to miss breakfast at Wimbledon because it was always happening during church. And so when I retired three years ago, my wife will attest to this, one of the very first things I said was, I'm finally gonna get to be able to see breakfast at Wimbledon. Well, here we are. (laughs) It's worse than you think. It happened last year, too. And so when Davis asked us which Sunday we wanted to, I chose this one because Wimbledon should be over by now, but not this year. No, no. (sighs) The tennis gods have conspired listening to Adam and the children's time a minute ago, I was reminded of a a story. A pastor who was having his own children's time invited the children to come down and gather around him, just like Adam did. And he decided that he wanted to do an object lesson with the kids. And so he said, now, children, I'm going to describe something to you. And when uh, I'm going to give you clues. And when you think you know what it is, raise your hand and I'll call on you. You can tell me. So the pastor started and he said, "'This thing lives in the trees and eats nuts.'" No child raised their hand. Then the pastor said, "'This thing is gray and has a bushy tail.'" Still nothing from the children. Finally, frustrated, the pastor said, "'This thing jumps from branch to branch.'" And one brave little boy raised his hand and the pastor said, "'Thank you, Johnny. What's the answer?' And Johnny said, "'It's Jesus.'" And the pastor said, are you sure? And Johnny said, well, I know it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel, but the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> back, in, um, back in 1995, I uh, studied Caribbean Liberation Theology in Jamaica at the University of the West Indies. The school is located in Kingston, and if you've ever been to Jamaica, you've probably been to one of the lovely resorts they have in Ocho Rios or Negril or, or one of those places, and you can attest to how beautiful Jamaica is. Kingston is not that. Kingston is the capital city. It is very crowded, and it's very poor. Imagine over a million people living in a fairly small geographical area, tens of thousands of them living in shanty towns. Do you know what a shanty town is? Imagine a dirt floor with cardboard and corrugated aluminum and whatever thing you can find to help to build a a makeshift living area. And now imagine hundreds of those sort of connected in a kind of maze and in a sort of community of poverty. And then imagine every storm that passes through tears it all down and they get to start over again. While I was there, I and the other students were uh, invited to connect with one of the local missions to go spend a day with them and to learn about what they do. I was paired, uh, I was assigned to an outpost of Mother Teresa's worldwide ministry ministry to the poor. I was paired up with a man and we got into a van and we started driving into an area where there was a garbage dump. And I looked at him, I said, why are we going to the garbage dump? And he said, because there are some families who cannot afford to care for their elderly relatives when they approach death. And so they very often bring them to the garbage dump in order to die. We go to these garbage dumps and we pick these folks up and we bring them back to Mother Teresa's facility where we care for them in their last days so that they can die with dignity. It's kind of a Jamaican hospice. We were supposed to go back and tell the story and so I went back to the class and I told mine and another student talked about um, an orphanage uh, that was there that was there because many times younger women who have babies, they have them at the hospital and they leave them at the hospital because they can't afford to bring them home and take care of them. Another student talked about uh, a family mission there where Uh, younger women, or even girls almost, uh, give birth to children early. For some reason, their husband just walks off and leaves them. And if this young woman wants to remarry, the person that she wants to remarry has to agree to take the kids and most of the time they don't. So they have to give these children to to the woman's mother to care for. As we told these stories, there was sort of this mixture of exhilaration and exhaustion. They were hard stories to tell. Today's scripture tells about the return of the disciples from their very first mission without Jesus. Now, bear in mind, they had been with Jesus for months and months, learning at his feet. He was their mentor, he was their master, he was their backstop. And then he sent them away, sent them out to share the good news. I don't know how long they were gone, weeks at least, maybe even months. And then they returned. And I'm guessing that they returned exhausted and exhilarated with stories to tell, some thrilling stories, some dark stories, some successes, some failures. Jesus sensed that they needed a break. They were tired. They were suffering from compassion fatigue. They needed some solitude. Jesus himself, by the way, was not in top form here. John the Baptist, his cousin, first cousin, had recently died. And if that weren't bad enough, he didn't die of natural causes. John was callously murdered. So Jesus was heartbroken himself. Let's go off by ourselves, he said, to a quiet place and rest a while. I have another translation that I like even better. Jesus says, Come away with me. Come away with me. Just like what we heard. I think we witness here a living example of rest for the restless, that's our theme for July. And what I see in this story myself, the first word that comes to me is retreat, retreat. Now mind you, retreat is not surrender. Retreat is simply a way to go and regroup, rejuvenate, recharge so that you can go back to doing what you were doing. I'd like for us today to perhaps change that, and to suggest that Jesus was taking the disciples on Sabbath, a time apart. And I will suggest to you today that there's not a person in this room or listening to my voice who couldn't stand a good dose of Sabbath. Let's name the elephant in the room. We live in and belong to a culture that values hard work above all. The so-called Protestant work ethic, you've heard of it. It's been credited with the rise of capitalism in the Western civilization. In fact, the better title would be the Calvinist work ethic because John Calvin, who developed the doctrine that we've come to know as predestination, And you probably know that predestination was the idea that God already knew ahead of time who was gonna say yes and who was gonna say no, but people didn't. And so the Calvinists came up with a clever way of determining who was in and who wasn't, and that was whoever was working the hardest. They must be the ones who are getting their salvation. And it didn't hurt that Calvinism had a pretty high view of hell And people were so afraid of hell that it gave them even more motivation to work even doubly hard. And this superhero work ethic was observed by other people in the town and they coined that term Protestant work ethic. We heap praise on the people around us who work hardest, don't we? We give them bonuses, we give them titles. Nothing wrong with any of that, but I wonder at what cost? In the end, at what cost? Some of you here in the room are old enough to remember the beginning of what you might call the leisure revolution. Back in the 50s and 60s, all kinds of machines and gadgets were developed in order to save us time. Why would we want to be saving time? So we could go and do things that we enjoy doing. Leisure. Well, things like the washing machine and the toaster oven, the vacuum cleaner, they, they did their job. They saved us time. Along with that though, there was a sort of a fear that came along with those gadgets. And that was that somehow or another, we're afraid that these machines are gonna take our place. Well, if you think that sounds quaint, we're right back in the middle of it again. Now with something called AI artificial intelligence. And we're once again being told that AI is gonna save us all manner of time. And once again, we're afraid that somehow or another, it's going to replace us. Now, what have we done with all this free time we've got? Last year alone, 55% of us left vacation on the table. 55%. Now, this is not a sermon about the evils of hard work. It is a sermon that urges us all to reconsider the notion that we are primarily what we do. That we somehow have no value apart from our jobs. I saw a bumper sticker once that read, Jesus is coming, try to look busy. That's kind of nervous laughter, isn't it? I'm told in China, a polite response to the question, how are you, might be something like this. I'm very busy, thank you. Hear this, I believe in a cruel way, the late 20th and early 21st centuries have relieved us from labor without at the same time relieving us of the conviction that only labor is meaningful. Well, I believe that our faith tells us unequivocally that we are more than what we do. Our worth and our value as human beings was guaranteed by God at birth. We didn't have to do anything to prove our worth. It was built in. We are more than what we do, and I think the more has a name. I think the name of it is Sabbath. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who is perhaps the, the leading Jewish mind of the last hundred years, he reminds us that the universe was not complete until God commissioned Sabbath. And it's even deeper than you realize. The Hebrew word kadosh is translated best as holy. It's used no fewer than 118 times in your Old Testament. Care to guess when it was used for the first time? Sabbath. Mind you, not at the creation of the birds or the trees or even people. Sabbath. Sabbath. Time was considered holy. We are, we are reminded of it later too when Moses comes off the mountain with the commandments, the fourth commandment, the last one dealing with God says, what? Remember the Sabbath and keep it Kadosh. There were three things that separated the Jews from all the other peoples on the planet. There was the dietary laws, There was circumcision and there was Sabbath. I think sometimes we don't understand how radical Sabbath was as an idea. Imagine the gift God gave to a nomadic people, usually enslaved, working tirelessly for an oppressor, where God says to them, we're going to set aside one day a week of rest. It was unheard of. Nobody did that. It was life-giving. And so Sabbath is not only important to us, it's not even just about people. If you take a day apart from, with Sabbath, no work, well, then you also are giving the animals who work for you a day off so that they can also rest and regenerate. And it goes deeper than that. Every seventh year was considered a jubilee year and no planting or harvesting was done. So profound was the notion of Sabbath that even the ground itself needed to regenerate, needed to rest. And so Sabbath is about time. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us, don't value that command to rest. Here we are in the summer season most everybody's trying to take a vacation if you haven't already. We all suffer from the same disease. We try to cram as much as we can into those days wherever we go. So much so that when we get back we're sort of exhausted and it's not uncommon for you to hear us say I need a vacation for the vacation I just had. The propensity of our of ourselves to, to overdo and to work ourselves into a, a lather is also killing us, quite literally. Ask any doctor, ask any nurse, they'll tell you those capillaries in your heart, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna close up if you don't start relieving some of that stress. There was a father who was teaching his son to tell time And he decided what he would do is he would have his son go to the grandfather clock in the room and sit there and listen to the chimes. And he told his son every time that the clock chimes, take note of it, and however many times it chimes, that's what time it is. So the son went and got in front of the clock and it happened to be noon. And the clock began to chime once, twice, three, four, five, six times, little boy taking notes, seven, eight, nine, ten times. 11, 12 times and then 13, 14, 15 times. A little boy went to his father and his father said, what time is it? And the little boy said, I don't know, but it's later than it's ever been. (laughs) Ain't it the truth? Sabbath friends is about time. The Greek language, most of us are aware, has two words for time. One is chronos. Kronos time is time that's measured in length, like the numbers on the grandfather clock. Like what time is it of the day? That's Chronos. The other word is Kairos. Kairos time is not measured in length, it's measured by the quality of what happens during that time. So it's when we say something like, I had such a great time last night at dinner. I had such a great time with my friends. That's Kairos. And Kairos is Sabbath. Here again from Rabbi Heschel. It isn't a thing that lends significance to a moment. It's the moment that lends significance to the things. We are a culture in profound need of Sabbath. Okay, great, Jim, how do we do that? Well, I admit we're out of practice. Our Jewish friends have been working at this for a long time but not us so much. We don't even have blue laws anymore. So, you know, we found a way to work on Sundays too. So what I suggest is start small. Don't try to bite off more than you can choose, start small. How about find a way to carve out 15 minutes a day to go to a quiet place and just breathe. Don't even think about anything, just be. And if that doesn't sound like it's good, if you're a Christian, when we set ourselves apart for time for prayer, that's Sabbath. Or maybe you can create your own kind of Sabbath. How about cell phone Sunday? Could you get away from your devices for one day? A break from the noise, from the stress, to be reminded that none of us is indispensable and the world will turn without us. Maybe read a book. I suggest a real book. Maybe sit and listen to music that moves you. Maybe a walk at Radnor Lake where you might get a glimpse of that elusive creature, Davis Chapel. (laughs) Our Jewish friends tend to spend their Sabbath time connecting with family. One of the best things that Terry and I have done over the last six years has been to invite our children and their spouses and their grandchildren uh, over for Sunday supper. We are blessed that all of our tribe lives here. I know that's not true for everyone. And it doesn't work out every Sunday. Things get in the way, schedules get in the way, trips get in the way, but it's worked for most Sundays. And what I can tell you, I won't speak on behalf of the children and the grandchildren, but it's been life-giving for Terry and I. To do that, create your own version of Sabbath. It doesn't really matter how you go about doing it, but don't hesitate. Jesus saw the need of his 12 friends. They were beat and they needed rest. He needed it too. And it was a gift of Sabbath from him to them. They needed it for their well being, so do we. This isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. Why? Because maybe it's later than it's ever been. And Sabbath is kadash, it's holy. All of this is in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. As our ushers and acolytes come forward and prepare to take our offering this morning, I want to remind you that your very presence with us is a gift. And so I do encourage you to register your attendance. You can do that online or in the attendance pad. And so now we call for our offering, giving of our tithes and our offerings.